primary care knowledge boost, working through a quality improvement project example. Welcome to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. We hope you're all keeping well out there in general practice and in the community. Today we're talking to a GP on the NHS England Fellowship who's completing a quality improvement project around weight management, Dr. Varshni Rajakalandran. And we also get the input and advice from the quality improvement guru, Dr. Joanna Bircher. Yes, Dr. Joanna Bircher is a GP with a passion for QI and has been involved in writing guidelines and teaching on the subject. Um, She's been on the uh, podcast a few times before, but particularly if you haven't listened to her previous episode about QI called An Introduction to Quality Improvement, um, we'd recommend that you do because that will take you through the principles before listening to this example. Today we talk through Vashni's project in some detail, so we hear why she chooses the project and the context to it, including enablers and barriers. Yep, we then break it down further with Joanna's great insight, thinking about the tool that she used um, during the project and then considering the aim of the project, what was and could be measured and what ideas were implemented and tested during the project. Yeah, we found it really useful to cement our learning around quality improvement and we hope you do too. So as always, we will start with some introductions. Um, So would you both be able to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your professional background? Hi there, I'm um, Dr. Varshni Rajakalendran. Um, I'm a GP based in Hill Green in Stockport. Um, I'm also a GP fellow um, as part of the uh, Greater Manchester NHS England Fellowship Programme. Hi, I'm Joanna Bircher. I'm a GP also. Um, I'm based in Staleybridge, which is part of Tameside and Glossop CCG. Um, I'm also the clinical director of the Greater Manchester GP Excellence Programme, and I'm a GP with special interest in quality improvement. Lovely. And that frames nicely what we're talking about today, because we had you on previously, Joanna, to talk about quality improvement. And we decided to get um, both of you on to talk through an actual example of quality improvement and find out what we can learn from it and kind of put it into practice to be a bit more useful, hopefully, to the listeners. So just as a bit of an orientation, Joanna, can you remind us um, what quality improvement is? Yes, so quality improvement is a more systematic way of looking at making something better. Um, and we all, you know, go about our day to day lives, make, trying to make things better, making our homes more comfortable, making, you know, getting fitter and those types of things. But, and within our practice, we also do that. But if you're going to use a more formal quality improvement approach, then you have a structured, more systematic way of looking at it and um, with an awareness of the context that you're making that improvement in, with lots of work in the first instance of trying to really understand your problem so that you know um, what you're trying to fix. And there are all sorts of different formal tools you can use to do that. And once you've decided what it is that you need to, to solve, a systematic way to try and put that into practice and um, measuring as you go to check that you've actually generated the change that you want to see. So I think that's probably it in a nutshell. Amazing. So I'm going to try and recap some of the things that we covered in the first episode, as well as getting us really excited about how important quality improvement is, because by using it, you can make a genuine change that will help improve everybody's lives in the future for your patients and your team. Um, so that was really exciting. But also you, you went over the domains of healthcare quality. Is that right? 
That's right. So in terms of knowing what you want to improve, um, I suppose it's what does quality healthcare look like? So it's trying to um, give you a, a kind of idea what you're trying to move towards. So you want something that's effective and so that it's a type of healthcare that actually makes a difference to patients' lives, morbidity, mortality, quality of life. And um, you want it to be safe, so effective and safe. You don't want to, I mean, to cause any harm to people. You want it to be delivered at the right time for them. So um, there's something around um, making sure it, uh, you know, arrives when it should and when people aren't waiting a long time. So you want it to be efficient. So efficiency in terms, in QI terms, is about avoiding waste so that you're not wasting resources, people's time, both practitioners' time or patients' time in delivering that care. So you want it to be efficient. You want it to be person-centered. So you want it to be really focused on their individualized kind of needs and values um, rather than something that a wider system thinks they should they should want. And then the sixth of the domains is about equitable. So it's about making sure people with the greatest need get the greatest care, and um, which of course doesn't always happen. So those six domains of healthcare quality were defined by the Institute of Medicine, uh, um, I think in the early 2000s. And, and and um, they they seem to still work. Then there are a good a good broad range of things that we're, I guess, all aiming for when we deliver healthcare. Perfect. I'm really glad that you summarised it rather than me, because <laughs> you actually explained it. it. Makes sense when you say it as well. Um, but we also covered choosing a project and process mapping and how to measure and evaluate changes as well, like you said. Uh, so we're going to take uh, an actual example of a project. Um, and we're really glad that Dr. Varshni Rajakalandran is going to take us through her project. And we're going to get Joanna's advice on on it as well, if that's all right with you. Yes, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Brilliant. So we're going to start off with just getting you to explain what your project is, Varshni, if you will. Yep. So um, my project is based on the weight management enhanced service that was released last year by NHS England. And the aim of the project is is basically to encourage conversations to be had by primary care professionals um, with, with patients to try and get them to engage in the local weight management services and obviously then going ahead and, and making those referrals um, to the services. So there's a couple of parts to it really, um, mainly kind of providing the education to those involved about the weight management services available to patients um, and then actually recruiting patients and making those referrals. Um, and how did you come to decide upon that topic or that area? Um, as a place to kind of do your quality improvement? So it was a little bit of a, um, I kind of fell into it really, um, but it's it's something that I'm quite passionate about. So I, as part of um, the GP fellowship, you're encouraged to intend, attend um, primary care network meetings. Um, and it so happened when this enhanced service was being um, released, we had a conversation in our local meeting about whether or not we as a PCN were going to engage with it. And I somehow volunteered myself <laughs> to uh, to do the project um, for the PCN. But, it, but, but I was quite keen to do it because weight or obesity and the implications it has on long-term health conditions and also, you know, the fact that it's affected the outcome or the morbidity rate in of COVID over the um, last couple of years with the pandemic um, is something that I'm quite interested in. And I, I, I do passionately believe in how important it is to um, address diet and lifestyle factors as part of uh, primary care, really, as our role as primary care physicians. So yeah, that's how I, I stumbled upon this project. 
It's always the way. <laughs> it's always where you find the perfect fit. Um, so I think uh, last time um, on the previous episode, we talked about things like contextual factors that can kind of come up during the course of a project, the kind of barriers and enablers. So we wondered if you would mind talking through um, some of those contextual factors for us and for our listeners to kind of get a bit of an understanding about the environment and the context of the, the project and some of the barriers and some of the enablers that you might have come across. Yeah, so um, as you can imagine, it's quite a, it's a quite a big project, um, and so in terms of kind of personal barriers, I found initially that it was quite an overwhelming project to take on, and trying to work out a way of approaching it was was a big barrier. It's it's a difficult one. So there's there's barriers from a professional point of view in terms of um, it's quite a touchy subject to bring up um, with patients, and so there was that barrier that we as professionals have in terms of wanting to engage in those conversations and having the time to engage with patients uh, about weight uh, management. Obviously, we're working in an environment now where there's lots of remote consultations being had. So it's not as easy to record weights in patients and have those conversations um, when you're not seeing patients face to face as much. Um, There was educational barriers in terms of professionals so people being aware of what services are available um, and actually having to have those conversations with the wider allied health professionals and then in terms of uh, wider PCN I I, I struggled a little bit with engaging the other three surgeries in our PCN with the project itself so I think um, obviously with the pandemic at the moment everybody's focus is on other things and obviously the vaccine programs had a, a massive impact on on primary care workload over the last few months so that it was quite hard to get the other surgeries involved and, and I had to almost had to just go gung-ho with our surgery and 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 talk to the other surgeries about what I'd, what I'd done but leave them to kind of engage in what I'd done you know, on their own, which which was a bit frustrating at times, but um, but I think these are the lessons you learn. It's really, I'm really interested in what you say about the complexity of it being across three different sites with three different organisational cultures and three different teams. And and we do know that um, implementing change and improvement is really dependent on um, those kind of relationships and the kind of cultures. And as you really kind of beautifully put, people have got a massive distraction quite rightly at the moment with not only the kind of COVID and rates around but the vaccination program and and so these are kind of um, barriers for you to be able to implement the things that you wanted to do and and sometimes there are also um, enablers so I suppose an example with the weight management and enhanced service could be whether people recognise that they would get an item of service fee. So sometimes having a financial incentive can be quite an enabling yeah. thing. I mean, it isn't always, um, and it can sometimes surprise you how it isn't when people have really got so many, many other priorities that even um, attributing some money to it doesn't help. But um, but it can, and 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 sometimes it's individuals within practices. So you might have a few key people who are really keen that you could engage with and I'd be, I'd be really interested to hear what what kind of setups there were and what things do you think and were the enablers for the project or are because it's ongoing isn't it yeah so um so one of the big enablers was the financial incentive with it being an enhanced service as a PCN but as a surgery um there was that financial incentive to to engage with the program so that helped. We also um, had some key individuals that were passionate about um, weight and the impact on long-term um, comorbidity. So uh, one of our uh, practice nurses was very keen to get involved. 
Um, we also engaged with the tier two service locally in uh, in Stockport who wanted to work with us in trying to recruit patients, which um, helped me bring about one of the ways in which we um, educated patients and, and tried to enroll them in the service. So that was that was helpful because they also provided us with quite a lot of information in terms of leaflets and, and education for professionals and patients. So so that helped me along the project quite a bit. Being on the fellowship, did you have time to actually get to do the project? Yeah, so the fellowship has been brilliant, actually, because um, quality improvement is, like Joanna mentioned in the previous episode that you recorded, it's very much about having a curiosity and, and wanting to implement change. And I I probably do have that curiosity, but I think I've previously been quite overwhelmed with how to approach quality improvement. And as much as you can have ideas, it's very hard to know how to go about putting those ideas into into place. Um, and the as part of the NHS um, England Fellowship Programme, you um, enrol in a quality improvement coaching session, which helps you, well, educates you in terms of things like process mapping and how to approach co- uh, quality improvement projects, which is something that I didn't really know of prior to this. Um, and then just how to form a systematic approach in tackling projects, which was was really really helpful and and as part of the fellowship you you set aside a session a week to do these sessions but also uh, um, spend some time on these projects so so that was really helpful and then thinking about how you approached it did you use a tool to, uh, a quality improvement tool to work through the problem yeah so I did use process mapping um, to help me design the project I found it quite useful because you can almost map out the patient journey in terms of that moment where they decide I might have to lose some weight and I want to go about trying to find some help doing that all the way through to the point where the referral is made. Um, So I found it a useful tool in getting together the key players in that patient journey and having a discussion um, on, you know, what works, what doesn't work, where things may go wrong um, and how we could um, address those points. Um, And then uh, one of the other tools that we used was stakeholder mapping. So with that, uh, having done the process mapping, we looked at the key players, so the, the influential people and what their level of influence was in the project so with that you look at um where those those people sit in a grid in terms of their level of influence and their level of power and the level of interest that they might have in the um in that process Um, and that helped me identify who to engage with really in terms of uh the project and, and who was important I was just going to expl- say a little bit more about stakeholder mapping because you're right, it's a really useful tool and, and, and I don't always talk about it a huge amount, but actually in terms of looking at context of improvement, so it, it's right at the very early start of the QI journey is the stakeholder mapping. Rather than using the tools just to unpick the problem, you're actually using some tools to unpick your context. So like looking, we talked about enablers and barriers and these stakeholders are going to be one or the other. Um, and if you get get it right and map who's important and who to talk to, they're more likely to be an enabler. And if you don't appreciate what stake they might have in your project, both good and bad, they can actually be a barrier, can't they? So um, we all know that some if you if you don't talk to the right people, you suddenly find that they're standing in the way, and you don't really know why, and and because you've, you've let, maybe left them out when you you um, could have included them. So really, really useful to talk about stakeholder mapping. Thanks for bringing that up, Vash. Svashni, who did you feel your key stakeholders were? 
I think the key stakeholders in this project were the patient as an individual who's engaging with the service, um, the GP or the nurse or any other kind of professional involved in in having those discussions with the patient. And then um, I also I, I put um, kind of receptionists and admin staff quite high up in that um, map as well in terms of they're the ones um, who are involved in the triaging of patients and knowing, you know, which direction to point patients to. So they were quite key in this project. Um, And then as a wider kind of group of stakeholders, we looked at um, people like the practice manager, the um, other health professionals and and weight management service professionals that we refer to, then the PCN as a a wider group. Um, And then obviously going outside of that, then you've got the CCG um, as well. Yeah, that's pretty comprehensive, actually. And and like, do you want to explain? I can I can see how that's useful to figure out who might stand in your way if you leave them out. Definitely. <laughs> so, uh, in our last um, on the last episode when we spoke to Joanna, um, we talked about three questions that you can ask yourself during the kind of course of the QI project to kind of make sure that you're keeping on track and um, that you're following what you you're you're doing what you want to do with the project. Um, so we thought we'd maybe ask you these um, and then get Joanna's input on them as well. Um, so the first one was what is it that you were trying to accomplish? Um, So I think as a whole, what we were trying to do was take a proactive approach to um, engaging patients in the weight management service. So not almost not relying on patients bringing it up, but actually being um, forthcoming and having those discussions with them at at an early stage. So uh, that involved educating staff members and making sure that they had the confidence to have those discussions as and, you know, when they came up, which often is opportunistic. Um, So that was, uh, that was the main thing. And then following on from that, the next step was to actually increase the amount of referrals to the weight management services available, whether that be uh, tier two or tier three services or the new um, NHS digital uh, weight management service that's available. So yeah if I, so if I just pick on pick up on that a little bit so you've your second one that you talked about you're going to increase the numbers of referrals is is kind of the um, answer we're looking for in that question one of that model for improvement when you're doing it in that more kind of formalized structure what is it that we're trying to improve? we're trying to increase the number of referrals and we'd probably say it's quite useful to try and set yourself a bit of a smart target so like by how much and by when that you'd like to do that the other one which is about the um kind of the more holistic we wanted to do it in a way that was driven by what what our population kind of want and need and that the and that the clinicians are being more proactive in terms of bringing it up and that kind of confidence that would be what we'd call one of the um one of the ideas for change that would be the how not the what okay so the what would be the the it's it's one of the simple things and it's your overall outcome measure doesn't mean that you wouldn't look at some process things on route like how many conversations happened and how were the clinicians feeling and all those other things that you might measure while you were doing the project to check it's on track and to see if you needed to change any of the the how you're doing it but the the encouraging clinicians to be proactive would be one of the ideas for change the kind of tests of change so in terms of the actual aim or the 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 smart goal um, for the project itself it was actually to increase the number of referrals to the weight management service to 30 percent of um, patients who fall in the obese category by March 2022. So the enhanced service was released in July 21. 
So we were looking at a period from July to, to Mar- July 21 to March 22. So it was to, the aim was to get to 30%, if that makes sense. Wow, that's that's pretty. That's quite ambitious, doesn't it? Does it feel ambitious? Or? It is it, it, now. I'm that now. I'm close <laughs> to the end. <laughs> I'm not sure we're anywhere near that target, but we'll see. I haven't analysed the data yet, so. So was it easy to measure? Has it been something because measuring in quality improvement is um, is really important, but also really difficult. We found in terms of is that something that you noticed yourself? Yeah, so it, it, it is a tricky one because obviously we're looking at our obesity register. That's that's the overall group number of patients that we're looking at. And because of the project, we're now actively measuring patients a lot more. So our obesity register is actually getting bigger because we're we're measuring the weight of patients. So as much as our referral target is probably much more than it was last year, the base number of patients is also increasing. So it's now looking at how I interpret that data and, you know, um, work out whether we've achieved that goal. Yes. And and you've brought up an amazingly important point here is that is that you don't know until you start running your project whether your aim is actually the right aim. Um, you think it is, but actually by doing it, um, sometimes you that's a test of change in itself you're testing out that aim and what you've recognized that is the you've increased your denominator population now so it may no, no longer be the right aim if that makes sense and um, the lovely thing about QI is that we're all um, it, it's a learning exercise and actually it's your project and you can change it if you want so you you know if you recognize that it's actually now you're no longer measuring the right thing and it's not the right aim you can revise that and it it feels a little bit like you're cheating but you're not cheating you're basically being flexible because you've recognized if you're increasing the denominator population you're it's, it's like um two steps forward one step back two steps forward and actually you might want to have a think about is there a slightly different um, aim statement and therefore a slightly different measure that you're doing so could it be that it's about a more fixed denominator like the proportion of the patients on your on your registered list who've been referred or and so you are allowed to revise it obviously you'd then reflect in your own thoughts when you were reflecting on the project about why you needed to do that um, but actually, that would be entirely reasonable in your situation because actually, you don't want what is actually possibly a success to end up feeling like you've failed in your aim. But actually, what you've done is you've identified more people with a need. No, absolutely, and I think it it has started to feel a little bit like that. As much as we put in a lot of work and we've we've sort of achieved what we want to achieve, whether the numbers reflect that, I don't know. So that's that's a really good point, and um, it is possibly something I need to do in terms of changing that aim. And, and, and measuring the number of people who are on the obesity reg- register, sorry, would be one of the things that we would call a kind of process measure. Yeah. Because there's another thing you can measure to look at the success of your project that isn't actually about your overall outcome, your aim, but it's something that you, you're looking at en route in order to really get a feel for how, how you're, how you're doing. And similarly, there might be some what we call balance measures. So if we talked, a, I think we talked a little bit about the three types of measures. So um, usually there's an outcome measure. So what's the overall thing you're trying to trying to do? And it sounds like yours was yours was a nice clear one, but you may you may choose to adjust it a little bit because of what you've discovered. 
something like the number of conversations that have been had or the numbers of referrals made or the number of people on the actually on the register could all be process measures. Um, and then thing there could be a balance measure. So is it, that, for example, has the practice received any cl- complaints about clinicians constantly going on about people's weight or focusing on weight when they, they did, they came in about something else or, and, and sometimes that's a hard one to do, um, quantitatively. So you do it as a kind of qualitative kind of grumbles or, um, you know, and reception teams are great at giving you feedback on those because they'll be the person that probably gets it in the ear if that's what's happening. So, um, that was, that's what we would call a balance measure. This is great. This is really, really interesting, actually, the kind of way that you can adapt it. Because it is, when something is a success, it'd be kind of a shame not, not to have it as that, not to feel like it is. But um, the when we're going through those three questions that we were talking about, we'd, we talked then about what was it that you were trying to accomplish? Uh, the second question was, how would you know when it's achieved? I think, have we covered that enough, do you think? We have taught it is about the measures, isn't it? So I don't know whether, Vashni, whether you thought about what other measures you could use that you think might be better now at measuring your um, overall outcome and your success. I think actually the the number of patients on that register is, is like you said, it is a, a process measure. And actually, I think engaging in those conversations, those patients is is a, a positive um positive process um, and I think that needs to be reflected in the overall project kind of um, write-up. In terms of balance measures so one of the other things I was looking at was things like the workload for for admin staff so obviously that's gone up because we're making more referrals Um, and one of the things I've done as part of my project is is send text messages out to to patients who fit the criteria for weight management services so that is an extra process that you know has added to workload of, of staff at the surgery when we've already got a, a huge <laughs> workload as we all know so um so I have yeah I've, I've, I've done a little bit of analysis on those those three types of measures and, and um I've got a bit more work to do on them <laughs> amazing right they're going so far through it. it's a really deep project it's a massive project so the fact that you're you're covering all of this is brilliant um, the last question was about um, what ideas are you going to test to see if you've made a difference? We did. You did mention one of them, didn't you, at the start, which was um, encouraging clinicians to be more proactive. So I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Yeah, so I think we've had quite a few um, informal discussions and a couple of formal educational sessions um, held at the surgery with just within ourselves, but also with um uh, one of the representatives from the tier two service in Stockport. So it's all been about, um, you know, using those opportunities to bring up conversations about weight. And it's interesting, actually, because those opportunities come up quite frequently. Um, and I don't think we are always aware of those um, those cues that patients give us when uh, when they actually want to discuss it. And we probably, you know, our own apprehensions about weight and how people might find it quite a sensitive subject often we don't talk about it and it's interesting actually having explored some of the ideas around kind of what cues we might pick up on I think a lot of the staff have found it a lot easier to bring up those conversations just by you know discussing our own apprehensions about it and and um, our own barriers to those conversations so yeah that that's been a really positive outcome I think it sounds like one of your other tests of change was the text message idea because we then would say we'd you'd put that test of change into a plan do study act cycle where we talked a bit about it last time where you'd you know work out how you were going to do it and what the 
potential harm might be and how and how, how you get the timing and who was going to be involved and then get on and do it and then see what difference it makes so had you kind of approached it in that way particularly or was it a bit more informal um so it was a little bit um a little bit more informal but actually having done it it was quite good to kind of reflect on it looking at the PDSA cycle so it was a plan that we or I made with the local tier two service um in terms of because uh, they were very keen to get involved with local PCNs in terms of their service. So what we did was we set out a template text message, which actually we sent out to our patients who were within um, the BMI group of 30 to 35. And as part of that text message, what we did was we um, actually put the, the contact details for the tier two service. So they didn't have to come via a, a clinician at the surgery, they could just refer themselves. And then they then fed back to us in terms of which patients had engaged with the service. And we tried to make it a personal text message, which I know is very difficult to do. But but rather than just setting out very blunt message saying, you know, you qualify for this, we tried to make it a bit more about the pandemic and how it's affected, you know, people who um, are overweight and whether people would be encouraged to, to engage in services. Um, so we did that. The text messages went out. Unfortunately, one of the contact details was wrong on the text message. There was an error in what was put in there. And then we ended up getting a lot of feedback saying that the patients had tried to engage and they couldn't because they were given the wrong um, wrong details. So that was a that that was a bit of a, um, a hurdle that we had to overcome. And, and actually then reflecting back on it, um, and studying the numbers that we got from that text message um, that we sent out, we didn't actually recruit that many more patients than in that month compared to the months at either side by just having the conversations in person with patients. That's interesting. So you tested out a, an intervention which looked like it should be a no-brainer, didn't it? Look like it should be great. This will definitely get our numbers up. Yeah. I found it a little bit disappointing. Um, so did in, in PDSA, obviously the ACT bit is that you either – um, adopt something if it works well adapt it if you think it's still got potential or abandon it if it's useless did you think it was a full abandon this as a as an intervention or do you think it was something that you could adapt so we have we have actually adapted it um a little bit so because uh, the that that um, set of messages actually went into uh, went to patients um in the 30 to 35 bmi group We've we've adapted it and we're we're sending it out for the over thirty five group now, uh, so we're 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 um, tackling the tier three service uh, with the BMI over thirty five, so a bit more information about um, what the service offers because we thought maybe that might help patients engage a little bit more, um, and see whether that helps. And you might have thought about this already, but um, if you were kind of putting your QI head on in terms of an intervention that didn't quite do what you'd hoped, you can actually go back to the diagnostics side of it in terms of trying to de- uncover what, what it was about that text message that didn't work. Yeah. Um, and that can sometimes be useful if you think an intervention might still have legs. Um, and, and you may well have done this anyway, but we found quite useful sometimes is testing out the text message with um, with a few people and directly asking them what they would feel like if they received this text. And and sometimes our populations are the people that we were thinking of sending it to give you brilliant ideas or, oh, actually, that oh, when you word it that way, it makes me feel bad or this way of wording it is a bit more positive or I'm much more likely to respond if you say this. and Or, or people who didn't, re- didn't respond to the first one and 
and a, a, just some, sometimes just phoning a couple to say we just we were testing out that text message but we noticed that you didn't respond it would be lovely just to find out was it that you're just not interested at the moment or was there anything about the message that you think could have been different and um, so t- sending um sending a, a, even a text message which seems like a no-brainer doing a test of change on that um, can actually sometimes give you a, a, a fine tune into something that's a bit more meaningful for, for people or that you might find people say, oh, I'd never respond to a standard text or, you know, you, yeah. so you might might uncover something which, you know, helps you adapt it even further. That's actually really interesting and I hadn't hadn't thought about that. So that's really, really helpful because it's such an emotive subject, isn't it? And actually text messages aren't the most personal way of, of approaching patients. So um that's that's a useful thing to do. I mean, it's it's always lovely to involve your patients, isn't it, in your improvement work if you can. Absolutely. Yeah, this is fascinating. I feel like I'm just sitting in a coaching session. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously, this isn't the normal process that you would necessarily take when doing a QI project. It's been a bit special to bring you on and speak to Joanna and do it in this way. Um, but have there been on reflection any points that have been quite useful that have been brought up that you maybe wouldn't have considered anything that might make a difference to how the project um, would have been carried out or things that might change what you're going to do going forward yeah no there definitely there's been some really useful um uh, points raised by joanna which um which on reflection i probably haven't thought about and, and will do going forward so one big thing was the the chat we had about changing the aim um, and adapting that because that um, was definitely something that I was slightly concerned about in that I wanted the project to reflect fairly positively because I think we've worked very hard and we have engaged a lot of patients but like like I mentioned our obesity register has increased and as such um, the proportion of patients may not be reflected in the results when when we do the analysis and also um, just that conversation we've just had now about you know testing for change and and possibly having some discussions with patients um, who received that initial text message and seeing how their personal response was to it and how maybe we can adapt it so that going forward hopefully the next set of messages will be a bit more successful. And, and I think you've put that really well. I think what's um, just why I love getting involved in QI is that you just, it's not like non-stop learning. You have that continual curiosity about why did why did this intervention work this way and work that way and c- continue to to look into it is it's great. It's, I mean, it sounds like a great project. I think the, the really um, kind of it's a light bulb moment when you realise that you can alter your aim statement because we're brought up, aren't we, as as um with the kind of scientific method in terms of research um, and QI isn't research <laughs> obviously you wouldn't dream of changing your research question it would just be a completely antipathy to the the, the fundamentals of research science and quite rightly because you have to have thought of all that in advance but actually what happened as you were doing is you realized that the measure you'd chosen wasn't measuring the actual improvement because of the changing denominator and so and this is about you measuring for improvement not not doing research science so um, it's a different thing and it's fine so I'm so pleased I've given you that gem tonight (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) oh fabulous and is there anything else that you'd like um, listeners to take away from the discussion today just opening it up to either of you Um, I think from my perspective what I would say is don't feel overwhelmed about ideas that you might have um I think it's a really positive thing to get in, to engage with quality improvement and um certainly now that I have a better understanding of tools it all seems a lot more manageable and I'd really encourage people to get involved because um 
there's there's lots that we can do to change and um and be proactive and it's an exciting world out there yeah, sorry. My only um, addition, I guess, would be um, what seems like a straightforward project, like um, Vashni said, actually usually isn't because of con- context and all those other factors. So um, always think about starting small and bi- building and growing. So start small because you'll have so much to learn as you go along. Um, and that, as you said, quite rightly helps you to not feel overwhelmed. Well, thank you both so much for joining us. That was a brilliant chat. Thank you. I think that that was such a lovely um, discussion this evening being able to almost like I said during the episode witness uh, coaching session on QI um, what did you take away Sarah? Yeah I, I totally agree I loved hearing an actual project like Joanna mentioned about it's really important to have that nat- natural curiosity and people that are interested in things and it's amazing when you actually get that in real life and you can well you get an example of that and you can follow it through with her it's brilliant to see how she's tackled it and it's clearly quite difficult it's long-winded but it's so worthwhile I just that's what really struck me as well is that she's picked something that is just so important for for our patient population so yeah it just it struck me as as a a great project Yeah, you're so right about how important it is to think about QI. And I think for me, it was being able to follow something entirely through. So when we did the first episode with Joanna, um, there was lots of good theory in there and you kind of understood it in fragmented parts. Yeah. Um, but it was hard to see how it all fitted together in one kind of project or process. Yeah. But I think going through it with the weight management example and um, hearing um, Varshney's approach and then hearing the learning and the bits that actually, oh, I could do this, I could do that. And, and all the little bits fitting together, you could see actually, oh, this is this is achievable and this is how you do actually go about doing it. Yeah. It was um, really good to hear about stakeholder mapping as well that Joanna got really excited about revisiting as well because just how important that is to kind of help work out who's going to be integral to making a project work and and getting them on board and all going through it together I thought that was brilliant yeah it was it was so interesting hearing about that because I've um I learned about stakeholder analysis for uh the public health exam and you learn about it in theory but I've never actually got to do it in in person I've been working in health protection since I started so you kind of I feel like oh I'm missing out I want to get get on it and be able to do projects like this and be able to do things like the stakeholder analysis um so yeah I was a little bit jealous <laughs> yeah it was very good showcasing of the fellowship I think actually like what what it can do um makes me want to do another one <laughs> <laughs> because you know getting the time to do something in that that level of detail she's picked a project that is hard um she's not started small which is the general advice that Joanna was saying but um she started important though and um and I think that if you've got the time to do it that's amazing because you can make such a big difference and then she's got the skills for for the rest of her life so um thanks very much for listening everyone if you want to get in touch you can do so through the usual channels and thanks for all your feedback and we pass messages on to the people involved in the episodes that we've recorded um, and everyone's been really chuffed when they've gotten emails from us with feedback so thank you all yeah exactly and um we're we're still planning what's coming up things are um, um in the process in the pipeline we've got some interesting um episodes that we think you'll enjoy but um we love hearing from you and, and what you think might be useful so please don't hesitate to get in touch till next time on primary care knowledge boost This podcast has been able to continue to date due to the support of GP Excellence, Wigan Borough CCG, 
Greater Manchester Training Hub and the GP Fellowship Programme, as well as Greater Manchester Health and Social Care Partnership. Just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. They were recorded in Greater Manchester in 2022. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before you make any treatment decisions. The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the episode description for full details and any links that we've mentioned in the episode.